Hello, and welcome to the PCA Church Leader Podcast, brought to you by the PCA Retirement and Benefits. On this podcast, we talk with a number of church leaders, pastors, elders, women's ministry leaders, administrators, campus ministers, and more. We discuss practical issues church leaders face in the course of an average week. Sermon preparation, staff meetings, time management, money issues, hiring and firing, books they're reading, and much more. Thank you for being with us today, and here's your host, Ed Dunnington. Well, hello, everyone. Before we talk to today's guest, if you would do me a favor, if you like the show, please be sure to to subscribe to PCA Church Leader Podcast and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts on how we can improve the show. We would greatly appreciate it. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and, and get started. I want to introduce today uh, our, our guest. Uh, today with me on the podcast is Mark Dalby. Mark has been serving as the president of Covenant Seminary since 2013, but he's been at Covenant Seminary in, in other capacities since 1999. So he's been there for 21 years now. Before that, he pastored several churches served in, in a college ministry and a Bible instructor at Geneva College. And, um, and so he uh, comes with over four decades of ministry experience. And so, Mark, it's great to have you with us this, uh, today. Thank you. Great to be with you. So, Mark, you know, um, as we get started, it probably would be helpful for our listeners to get to know you a little uh, bit better. So if you would, why don't you just begin by sharing with us how you came to faith in Christ and then uh, how you met your wife, uh, Beth. Okay, glad to. I grew up in a pastor's home and uh, learned all about the Bible and knew all the right answers and all the information, but at around the age of 14 realized that uh, something needed to happen, not just in my head, but in a transformative way in my heart and life. And uh, with, the, with the help of a youth director, uh, came to see that I needed to uh, repent of my own sin and trust in Christ alone for my salvation. And so all that head knowledge went to the heart. Um, this wasn't bad. It just wasn't sufficient right. uh, in that regard. And, uh, you know, my, my parents uh, encouraged me. Um, because my dad was a pastor, I felt maybe I should be a pastor too. And they wisely urged me to consider other kinds of callings. Mm. Um, so that if I was called to, to, you know, ordain ministry, that it would be uh, from the Lord and not, just sort of following in my dad's footsteps. That's very so I, wise. Yeah, I considered, you know, I was interested in optometry because there was an elder in the church who was an optometrist who, you know, loved his work, but loved the Lord and was able to, to I, I had a beginning of an understanding of a, you know, a vocational discipleship that wasn't just a, a hierarchy of, of um, ministry and non-ministry kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But at a youth, uh, a, a missionary conference for young people. Um, I just really felt that God was calling me to ministry. That was when I was about a junior in high school. So, you know, I went to college and uh, Beth and I met in college at a little school in Northwestern Missouri called Tarkio College, mainline Presbyterian liberal arts college. In Missouri? In Missouri, yeah. Oh. It's, it's uh, since no longer there. Okay. But uh, had a good hundred year run before it died (laughs) but we served its purpose yeah we met and uh in best family her father grandfather two uncles two cousins two brothers husband and father-in-law all presbyterian pastors wow so she vowed she'd never marry a pastor so 
I said to her, I think that's a rash and unbiblical vow and you need to repent of it and marry me. <laughs> that's right. My, my wife had vowed to never marry a, a, a VMI cadet. And, um, and that's the one thing that she yeah. ended up with. So, so Beth and I, um, you know, she, she, uh, we got married and you know, most days she's glad. Um, <laughs> that's incredible that both of you, I mean, such strong Presbyterian right. fam I mean, heritage. That's yeah. remarkable. Yeah. Her father was Stuart Perrin, who was a PCA pastor and Rick Perrin and Dan Perrin were on, all in the PCA as well. Dan still is. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And you know, we just found we had so much shared background mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, it, it's, it's been, we've been, we'll be married 45 years, August 16th. So. That's wonderful. Well, happy anniversary uh, weeks away, Lord willing. So yeah, thank you. that's delightful. Well, let me ask you this. So um, obviously uh, you've got lots of ministry experience and, and like we mentioned, served two churches, one in uh, uh, Richmond, Indiana, the other in Cincinnati, uh, Ohio, uh, was, were there uh, serving uh, at Geneva College. What is it that drew you to Covenant Seminary back in 1999? Yeah, I, I've always seemed to have this combination of, of pastoring, shepherding people, and teaching. So when I've been in campus ministry or here at, at the seminary, it's been maybe more of an emphasis on the teaching as the primary calling. And yet when I was but with a real pastoral approach to it. And when I was in pastoral ministry, there was, that was primary, but there's a strong teaching dimension. So I've always felt comfortable in both sort of the academic world and in the, in the local church ministry world. And I think I, I had a growing sense that um, as I came to understand the gospel more deeply, began, began to understand God's design that ministry is to be equipping um, rather than the leader in ministry doing all the work. I really felt like I wanted to, to serve the church and the Lord by being involved in the training of pastors and ministry leaders. At some point, Beth and I really began to pray about that. And we felt like after our kids were out of high school, um, we would consider that and, and with a real interest possibly in, in the mission field um, mm. doing that. And then, um, cause had you all spent any time, uh, we, we had done short term things and I'd had, uh, when I was, a uh, before my, my junior year in college, I was on a trip for two and a half months and went to 26 different countries around the world and met with wow. ministry leaders and, um, missionaries. And I just Who had, were a, you do? what organization did you do that a, with? It was a college, uh, group from some churches on the West coast called seekers. Okay. And, um, Henrietta Mir, I don't, Mears, I don't know if you know that name. She was a big Christian education person at Fuller Seminary. She used to do these cruises where they would study and, and then stop in different ports and meet with missionaries. So this was, a, this was an airplane version, a jet plane version of that. Wow. We, uh, it was an incredible time. But just in terms of at age 20, to have a vision for what God was doing globally, the whole world really had an impact in my life. So, but, so an opportunity came, um, to come here to be Dean of Students, um, and also to serve and, you know, teach a little bit on the, in the faculty as well. So I did 10 years as Dean of Students, um, 
which includes, it's sort of a chaplain student development combination role. And then um, when Sean Lucas went into pastoral ministry from the chief academic officer here in St. Louis, uh, a search went around and they didn't really find anybody. And they asked me if I would consider, I seem to get in these things by sort of being present, <laughs> not aspiring to something and then being asked, well, would you consider this? Um, so, you know, without a PhD, cause I have a doctor of ministry and without a whole lot of, you know, educational administrative, right. I, I suddenly became vice president of academics over the faculty and, and all of that. And I did that for four years and, and loved it. I already had a lot of relational capital with the faculty. Um, and then the last year of that, I was, was when I was also asked if I would be interim president. Right. Um, and so I agreed to do that. Um, and they asked me if I wanted to be a candidate. And I said, I don't know how I can be a good interim and be a candidate. And I'm not sure I would want the job. So you do your work, I'll do mine. If you get to the end and get stuck, we could talk more, which is basically what happened. They narrowed it down to one person and weren't sure it was the right person. And in the meantime, I'd been visiting donors and doing a lot of presidential type things. And um, they asked me if I'd be a second finalist. And at that point I said, okay. Mm. And I, I ended up becoming president. So again, I was present, willing to serve, Right. Not aspiring, but at the same time, you know, I, I, I put it this way. I feel, I feel like I'm more, more called to this. My sense of call to this is greater than anything I've ever done. Mm. Um, it's also the hardest thing I've ever done. Right. Um, and it's, it's also that my sense of my 24 seven need to be dependent upon, dependent upon God has been more in front of me all the time. I mean, that's true no matter what we do, but my conscious awareness of it right. is really great. And I feel like I've been put in a position where I get to see God work across multiple constituencies, students, staff, faculty, alumni, board, donors, you know, denominational leaders. And so it's been a, it's been a privileged place to see God work. Mm. over the time. So that's how I got here. That's wonderful. Well, well so obviously you've been um, in theological education, but you've also been in, you know, thinking about all the way back to your Geneva um, time. I mean, you've been engaged in theological edu education in some capacity for decades now. And so, you know, one of the things that I think you obviously have a great uh, insight into would be how have you seen theological education change over that time? But then also how have you seen um, the, the learners, right? The student body in theological education changed over the, the course of those two decades. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that obviously being here 21 years, you have an, a next generation that's different than the one that was here when I arrived. That's now here. Right. And I think um, one of the things we've experienced when I first came, probably the average age of the seminary student was maybe 33. And you had several sort of second career people or people, you know, uh, in that in that way. Our average age now is about 27. Wow. Which is not true across theological schools, though. I think right. it's 
probably more true in our reformed and Presbyterian world of theological education. And so the younger, um, the younger age has had an impact on how we, and then the generation as well, millennials are here now and those coming behind them pretty soon. And I think in my opinion, um, at least at Covenant, but I think it's driven partly by the desire of those who are in seminary now for the contextual relevance of theological education to real life issues and people. Mm. As compared to you go to seminary to get to learn Greek and Hebrew and the Bible and get your systematic theology right, and that's the that's the goal. Right. Well, that's a means toward a greater goal. Right. And so to have I think theological education has become was too decontextualized. It wasn't for the sake of the church and its mission in God's world. Right. I mean, people would say it was, but what happens during seminary was more getting knowledge and information and skills, okay, mm -hmm. but not necessarily asking the so what, why am I getting this and what will I be, what will this serve? Right. So I think that's been a change um, that, I've, that I've seen um, along the way. Another change that's happened has been the, at, at the graduate level, you've had this huge movement across higher education to much more online and less residential. And at Covenant, so much of, I think, the, the, the genius of what we do is not only deep biblical and theological study, but in the context of a community of learners with an emphasis on grace-based relationships and so on. So you come to covenant and you're in this learning environment with others. Um, but over the last 20 years, increasingly churches have raised up leaders, ministry leaders from within their congregation who uh -huh. maybe start out helping with the youth group and then they become youth director or something right. like that. Um, and reach a point where they think they know they need more theological training, but they're so um, connected to the church that they're in. They don't want to leave the ministry, but they want to get the education. Right. Many of them want an education like covenant gives. And for years and years, we were not able to say, they said, can we get a covenant education and MDiv particularly um, without moving to St. Louis? And right. We had to say, no, you can't. Um, so we've, we've had to respond to that change in the, in the life of the church, you know, the, an alternative credentialing. It used to be that the theological accreditors required all residential for MDiv and most churches ah. sent, sent their students off for three years or so right. at seminary. And so the ATS just at that summer biennial, no longer are there any residential requirements for the MDiv. Oh, wow. And our denomination obviously has a whole lot of alternative credentialing. Right. So we had to face, we, we feel like the way we did it was the best way to do it. And we wouldn't even consider a less than best way of doing it. Okay. We Absolutely. Had to, we had to repent of our own pride and almost idolatry of this is the one right way to do theological education and say, it's not about how we want to do it, to deliver it. It's about how we're called to serve the church according to what it either really needs or perceives it needs. Right. And so we've had to do a lot of things in the last two years 
to open up a hybrid Master of Divinity and some online degrees. Um, that I think has been really good. And so we've, you know, our, our, my, my commitment over the last few years as president has said, we must innovate and change. We're going to see a gradual decline of the seminary. Right. Um, and meet these, these new challenges with flexibility and, and, um, um, affordability. Um, but we must do it within our ethos and mission. We have to right. still be covenant. How do we get our ethos into the online learning communities? And we right. have to do it in a way that lands in a sustainable annual operating budget. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's so easy to say, those three things. That's, that's, you had no idea how difficult they would be to apply, but so easy to say. So, well, and I suspect that, I mean, you know, as you tell your own uh, story, there probably are very few students that have the same kind of upbringing that you, you and Beth do, right? I mean, I, and, right. and I think you came to seminary years ago with a lot of assumptions already baked in right. that you didn't have to, you weren't, they didn't have to teach you. Right. And I suspect that you all. Very true. Yep. You know, about, I would say at least half of our students didn't grow up in a Christian home, um, were converted in college, got connected to a campus ministry that may or may not have been closely linked to a local church. Right. Um, they feel God has called them to serve him. And many of those campus ministries, not RUF, but others would say, if you're called to serve God, you need to be a missionary, a pastor, or a Christian school teacher. Right. That's the hierarchy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So I guess I better go to seminary if I want to serve right. God. So you have people who weren't sent here. They came here to sort of explore what it means to be called of God and do ministry. So I think that, that you know, you talk about, you know, I grew up with potluck suppers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you ask students coming in now, they think it might have something to do with marijuana. That's okay. right. That's right. <laughs> They, don't, they haven't experienced the church, but they come and in three years, and some of the times they get married right before they come. They maybe have a kid in the three or four years that they're here and they're expected to go out without any real meaningful experience in the life of the church and serve in the church, understanding the dynamics and the leadership and the politics of ministry to quote mm -hmm. a recent book. Yes. Um, which is a great read. Oh, it really is. Um, so the, <laughs> what we, have to do to get them ready in a short time span is is pretty significant but the good thing is they really do they come a lot of them come they don't have to step out of a world that's sheltered to engage with the culture or with non-christians and so they need tools to be able to do that effectively but you know i think there's a there's a how do we um minister in particular places with particular people. So the more uh, uh, the importance of understanding context in right. which you're called to do ministry is something that's not foreign to students. I just came here to learn theology and have theological debates. Mm, which probably what used to be the yeah. prime more, yeah. more, more of the case. Yeah. I, one of the things when I, I had to give an inaugural, inaugural address when I became president. Okay. I was interim in 2012 and then in fall of 2013. 
and you know, I don't, I don't have a PhD. I'm not a great preacher. I'm thinking this has to be a great sermon and the most academic presentation ever done. And I'm thinking, I'm, you know, I'm really saying, how in the world am I going to, you know, you've got all the, the <laughs> how did I end up here? <laughs> all that sort of stuff. So I woke up one morning and I thought, okay, I've got an idea. And that is, what does theological education need to be at Covenant Seminary? It needs to be doxological. It's, it's, we study theology as an act of worship before God. It's before right. space. It has to be transformational, not just informational. And it has to be kingdom missional. Now, it didn't alliterate. You know, Wilson Benton, right. I wouldn't get an A he, from him. He, and <laughs> he would have he sat down with you, Mark, and said, yeah. well, Mark, what you really meant to say was, and you'd be like, how did you alliterate that in three That's minutes? Right. That's right. All, all the phrases have the same number of sy- syllables, <laughs> doxological, transformational, kingdom missional. But I think that summarizes what I've tried to emphasize uh, in my presidency. Um, and um, I think the other thing is there's a, there's a much deeper awareness and understanding that um, the call to love God and to love neighbor, the who is my neighbor. Mm. I mean, that's a huge thing right now and always right. is. It's all the way through the Bible. And to say we must love people who are marginalized or different than us who are rebelling against God, they're uniquely made in the image of God, and it's sort of the Schaefer build a bridge to people where they are. Well, even as you were saying that, I was I was instantly thinking how that that really is a continuation of that that Francis Schaefer um, ethos, right? I mean, I think that did, I mean, it really is a part of of Covenant Seminary's DNA. And um as as one who did not have the kind of upbringing and exposure to Presbyterianism that that you had, uh, I mean, I remember coming to Covenant and thinking, "What have I done? Everybody else here knows way more than I do, and is you know light years ahead of me uh, in the classroom." And and I, you know, part of that, I grew up in a Christian home, but it was Catholic, and and so you know, I didn't have a lot of the the categories. But the thing that was probably most transformational for me was the Schaefer Institute's things that were going on and my exposure to Schaefer and spending you know time with Jerem and you know, like so many others, just being in David Calhoun's presence, right? I mean, you just, um, I, that I've told the story before, but you know, my last semester at Covenant, I, I only had a couple classes left for, to graduate, you know, and to take for credit. And so I think I audited, I think I audited three classes. I audited everything that, that David Calhoun taught that spring semester. So I was in his like, uh, missiology, uh, class, um, through the arts or something like that. Uh, he was teaching Westminster Assembly. He was teaching uh, American Presbyterianism, and then I was taking his Reformation Moderation uh, Modern Church History class. So I was with I was with him at least an hour every day. Wow, that's great! My, my favorite semester there. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, David was my uh, Calhoun was my uh, dissertation advisor, and then mm. I had two demon classes from Jerem. Now I. Now I team teach with Jeremy and it's like, how, how can that be? You know, it's like, right. I went from Jerem bars to 
Then I'm his boss as a VP of academics. <laughs> now I'm team teaching with him. And um, anyway, I, I think I think you know the the commitment to our students need to be more conformed to the likeness of Christ at graduation. Yes, than they are when they first come. That's an emphasis. I I I work to bring the Schaefer Institute back into the center of the seminary life, the winsome engagement of the culture and people uh, without compromising truth and believing that loving them well is actually part of the truth. Right. Um, the implications in the loving neighbor that there is such a thing as biblical social justice that's not influenced by critical theory and all these sorts of things. Just read the Bible. Right. Start to finish and it's there throughout. And what does it mean to speak to the issues of our day, which is again, a Schaeferian kind of thing. And then I think the um, theology is not an end in itself, but it's done in deep biblical study for the sake of the church and its mission in God's world. So to say theology must serve the mission of God is not a liberal co-opting of something that doesn't value deep biblical and, and systematic theology. And then the valuing of not just those who are called to ordain ministry, but they're in ministry for the sake of the high calling that all of the people in the church have uh, before King Jesus as they live out their lives. Those are, those are, those are dynamics that I think by the grace of God, we've been able to see uh, all the, all the foundation was already there. Right. I think we've been able to see a, uh, a working out of that more and more um, while I've had the privilege of sitting in this, in this seat. Well, now over that, the course of those um, two decades, Mark, how have you seen our denomination change? Right? I mean, because if, if theological, we, we all would agree that the face of theological education has changed. None of us, certainly in our part of the universe, haven't, are, are saying that we need that that we need to change theological education in terms of the content, right. the, the doctrinal content. But we recognize that it's changed, as have our students, right? That they, they come with a different start at a different starting point than previous generations, and with different expectations. To your point, right? Um, but but. In that mix is obviously as as the denominational seminary. You've also seen the denomination change, in, in I think you know good and bad ways that that have have an impact positively and negatively on the students that that are coming and the just the seminary's life. Yes. Yeah, I think I think we've. You know, I came in, I was ordained in the PCA in 1978, and I thought, you know, I was a, you know, newcomer to these people that had been in the denomination for five whole years, you know. <laughs> I've been in it for 40, I've been ordained for 42 years in the PCA, which seems like maybe I am almost a founder, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. But I think, you know, the, 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 the fighting against liberal theology that doesn't hold to the inerrancy of scripture and to historic biblical faith and doctrine um, had to be done. Um, and it, because it just rips the, the heart of Jesus and the gospel out of, out of what we're about. Um, so I think 
a a response to liberalism and an establishing of a church that's committed to those core those core doctrines and, and understanding of the Bible was necessary. I think too much over the years um, we have we felt like the only danger to the church was a return to liberalism, mm. and so we we hold on to some of our secondary and tertiary doctrines which are important right but not necessarily primary and we 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 can fall into the danger of having second and third degree of separation from people who are fellow evangelicals committed to the same basic truths right that at times can have an attitude that accompanies it but at the same time the pca has been great in maintaining evangelism and world missions and that sort of thing so that's those both those things are good um but i think what we've tended to do is too often turn inward and judge one another as not being as reformed or as committed to the things we're committed to and miss that the kingdom of god and the church is far bigger than the pca right and and i think in the process we've tended to um, associate um, the addressing of, I mean, we were always good at addressing the issues of biblical sexuality. Okay? Right. Um, but we haven't been very good at addressing the issue of the place of women in the life of the church or the issue of race. And we have a bad history on that um, right. in our denomination. So if you say, what does it, I think the changes I've seen, and we've seen it in the study committees that have come out in the last five years, um, and well, and one that's ongoing right now. Correct. It's just like our culture is trying to figure out, um, you know, gender, race, and sexuality. We're saying the Bible speaks to these things, and we must too if we're going to be relevant into the culture. So that would be one example of how I think the denomination has changed from we're against these things to we're still against things we need to be against, but we're for and exploring of what needs to be true. And to me, it's not abandoning the Bible. It's actually a deeper and more comprehensive understanding right. of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It, it, and, healthy you know, biblical, biblical application, which is, right, which is so hard. That's, right. That is, I've got a friend uh, in ministry and his, you know, his, his shorthand always was, you know, Christianity is not complicated. It's just difficult, right? And it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, but love God, love your neighbor. That ain't that complicated. It's just really difficult. <laughs> well, yes, and especially when we go into the realm of application and we take a biblical principle and we have a valid application of that biblical principle into a particular context. Right. And then when we turn that application into a new principle that everybody else has to abide to, to no matter where they are, who they are. I mean, I teach worship classes. Right. A valid application of biblical principles of worship in one place. I can celebrate that. But the moment you tell me I'm not worshiping God right if I don't do it exactly as you do, then you've turned an application into a new principle by which you judge orthodoxy. And you get that in parenting. You get that in worship. You get that in you know, how we utilize the gifts of women in the life of the church under the oversight of ordained, qualified ordained men, um, how we speak into the issues of racial injustice, how we understand fellow believers who struggle with same-sex attractions. I mean, these are all, you know, we, we have to 
be learners as well as protectors of biblical. Uh, and the learning is in the relating to people and application into how to help people grow, grow in these, come to Christ and grow in Christ. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Hey, we're going to take a, a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about theological education and specifically uh, how, what that looks like in a uh, pandemic age and, and the effects of COVID-19 on how we train and equip uh, the next generation of pastors. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the PCA Church Leader Podcast. Thanks also to RBI for sponsoring the show. You can find past episodes of the show available on iTunes. And if you like the show, make sure to leave us a review. That really helps us know how to improve the show and make it better for you. We'll be back next week with more from Mark Dalby. Thanks again for being with us. I'm Ed Dunnington, and we'll talk with you next time.